Well, thank you so much for joining me, and I'm Jeremy Myers, your teacher for the One Verse Podcast. We're starting a series today on the armor of God and spiritual warfare, as we learn about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. I'm imagining this is going to be about a 10-part series. And just so you know, pretty much like all of the other uh, podcast series I do and other things, I will be making this into a book and also an online course. So if you're interested in the course, at least, you can sign up to take it right now by going to redeeminggod.com courses, and the Armor of God course option is there for you already. Now, there's no lessons in there yet, but there will be soon. I'm going to try to get two lessons up there this week, and then we will be adding lessons as we go along. By the way, that course is only available for people who join my discipleship group. And when you join the group, though, and take these courses, you do get a free copy of the book at the end of the course. So uh, if that's interesting to you, or if that's what you want to learn more about and how to join the discipleship group, take all of my courses for free and get free ebooks and discipleship emails, access to a private Facebook group, and so on. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash join to learn more about that, Okay. So we want to get into this study of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And I'll be honest, I did take a hiatus of my from my podcast over the summer and uh, in preparation for this series on the armor of God. And I will be honest, it's been one of the most difficult summers of my entire life. I had numerous problems assault me from every direction. Um, mental, emotional, spiritual, marital, financial, uh, I mean, you name it, uh, health problems, you, you, you name it, and I've had it uh, over the last couple of months. It's been a very, very difficult time for me, and um, so I appreciate your patience as I try to get back online here and get back to writing and teaching, uh, but it occurred to me literally 10 minutes ago as I was preparing we're teaching today's podcast study that maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons my life has been so insanely difficult and stressful and full of problems these last couple of months is because da, 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 <laughs> spiritual warfare. I've been preparing to teach on spiritual warfare now for a while and write a book on it and teach a course on it and do this podcast on it. On spiritual warfare, as we learn about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And so, no surprise that I am likely coming under some attacks, spiritual attacks in every direction, from every direction imaginable. So, anyway, I appreciate your prayers as we continue to work through this, this study of Ephesians 6 and the series on spiritual warfare. Um, and I'm going to pray for you because guess what? As you listen to these studies and you take these studies, you are likely going to face some major difficulties of your own. Don't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> um, anyway, so what we're going to do is just begin today with looking at the first verse. This is the one verse podcast after all, where I'm teaching this for the first time. And we're beginning looking at Ephesians chapter six. Verse 10. If you haven't realized this already, living the Christian life is one of the hardest things that you will ever attempt to do. Now, of course, this is really only true if you really attempt to live the Christian life. 
there are lots of people who do not, you know, they are Christians and they go to church or whatever, they read their Bible and they pray, but they don't really live, attempt to live the Christian life. Oh, sure, they might slap a Christian, you know, fish bumper sticker on their car and wear the Christian t-shirts and maybe attend a weekly service down at the church building on the corner, but truly living the Christian life is not... Uh, it's one of the hardest things you will do if you actually do it. And, and so what sort of things define living the Christian life, really living the Christian life? Not just wearing the t-shirt, not just having the bumper sticker, not just wearing a cross necklace around your neck. Well, for example, loving people that you would rather hate. That's extremely difficult. Uh, forgiving your enemies. Uh, showing patience to rude people. Uh, serving the poor and sick. Loving your spouse raising your children, having integrity at work. These sorts of things, if you try to do these things, the things that Jesus actually calls us to do, the things that Jesus himself modeled us as doing in the Christian life, if you do these as a follower of Jesus, you will experience severe resistance spiritually, mentally, emotionally, There will be attacks on your family, attacks on your marriage, attacks at your job, attacks on your health, attacks on your finances, because when we set out to truly be the type of people Jesus wants us to be, that is when Satan sets his forces into full gear to try to stop us. He's happy if all we do is attend church, read our Bible every day, pray, wear Christian t-shirts and put bumper stickers on our cars and uh, you know, raise our hands in worship songs at church uh, and, and so on. He's happy to just leave us alone and let us do that if that's all we do. But when we actually storm the gates of hell with Jesus, if you want to learn more about that, uh, my book, What is Hell, will we'll define, explain some of that. But if we're actually going to follow Jesus in storming the gates of hell by trying to change this world and love other people and forgive, that is when you are going to face resistance in every way possible, okay? So the Christian who truly steps out in this way to follow Jesus in reality, they will struggle. You will struggle. Right now, we sometimes think it should be the opposite. We think that following Jesus should be, you know, a bed of roses, and a cakewalk, but it isn't. And it wasn't for Jesus, it wasn't for his apostles, and it's not for any Christian who seeks to truly serve and follow him. Now, why is this? I've already told you why. The answer is because of spiritual warfare, right? Living the Christian life is one of the hardest things you'll ever do because of spiritual warfare. There are enemies arrayed against us in the spiritual realm who want to keep you from being effective in your life as a follower of Jesus, who want to stop you from living and loving like Jesus in this world. And so that is why the Christian life, for those who are truly living it, can be so difficult. Uh, So, Uh, Spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare when an unexpected bill arrives in the mail, right after you decide to give of your money to help the poor and homeless. Uh, It is spiritual warfare when you have a difficult day at work. Just on the day, you know, you were going to take your wife out on a date to show her love, and so now your day is ruined because uh, you bring your bad attitude home from work. (laughs) Uh, It's spiritual warfare when we receive a critically important email five minutes before we're going to read the Bible and spend some time with God, studying, 
You know, and then that, that email destroys your time. When Christians seek to follow Jesus into the world, we will face resistance and struggles of spiritual warfare. It's imperative for Christians to know what's involved in spiritual warfare and how we can prepare ourselves to stand in the midst of struggle. And that is what Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20 is going to be all about. All right, if you are facing struggles in your life, as I have been these last couple of months, the greatest struggles I've ever faced in my life, all right, if you are facing those sorts of struggles, temptation, loneliness, despair, financial worries, health problems, marital problems, problems with your children, problems with your parents, right? Uh, spiritual difficulties, feeling like God doesn't love you, can't forgive you, that, that maybe even God is out to get you or to punish you. You're having trouble understanding the scripture. Maybe you're even having trouble under reading or, or wanting to be around other like-minded people. Who knows what your struggle is? But if you are facing these sorts of struggles— then Ephesians 6, 10-20 is for you. So let's study this passage. We're just going to look at the verse, first verse today. And uh, as we go forward, we will be looking at our enemy that is against us. We'll be learning about uh, their, their, you know, why they do what they do. We will also be learning about the various pieces of spiritual armor, the armor of God that God has given to us to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves, and to stand strong and stand true in the midst of spiritual warfare. So this passage is going to be very helpful for you if you are facing spiritual warfare in your life. So let's just begin today by looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Okay? And uh, Ephesians 6, 10-20 is sort of a battle passage. And the first verse begins with a call to arms. Uh, it is what I'm calling the battle cry. Ephesians 6.10 is a battle cry. I'm sure that you have seen movies where, you know, there's a, two armies gathered on a field and they're facing each other. And one army, they see the other one across. You can think of, uh, you've probably seen the movie Braveheart, where they have these two battle uh, uh, enemy armies facing each other. And at some point, the, uh, the, the leader of one army raises his shield, raises his sword, raises his spear, whatever, and goes, Rah! and he's shouting, okay, to, to get everybody's heart racing and blood pounding through their veins as they charge across the field into battle. That's what Ephesians 6.10 is. Uh, Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay, uh, this is a battle cry. Uh, Paul, you could even sense him as shouting this, trying to rally the troops. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I think Paul got this somewhat from uh, Gideon. You remember Gideon, he gathered up this army to face the Midianites in battle. And uh, he was, uh, first they had all these people. And, and you, know, you remember the story, God sort of uh, weeded them out. Uh, through various tasks and so on, until Gideon was left with only 300 people to face the Midianites. And so they surrounded the Midianite army as they were down in this valley at night, and they had, uh, had, had trumpets, and they had torches put inside pots. And then at one point in the night, they all at once, they broke their pots, which hid the torches, and then they blew a blast from their trumpets, and then they shouted a rallying cry, a battle cry. Judges 7.20 says, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, all right? This is a battle cry. And that is what we also have here in Ephesians 6.10. It's a battle cry for spiritual warfare. Paul wants to spur you and I on towards victory. And so he says, 
Finally, my brethren, and here's the battle cry, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So it wouldn't be wrong to put an exclamation point after that statement and put it all in bold in your Bible, in a sense, okay? You could even put it all in caps, you know, that when you interact online or you send texts and so on, if you put something all in caps, it's considered shouting. Paul is shouting this statement. It is a battle cry for Christian soldiers, and it's to get the blood pumping. Now, it's not just for that. It's also full of rich meaning rich spiritual meaning, all right? So let's just look at some of the key words in Ephesians 6.10 that show us the depth of meaning that Paul has here. Now, first of all, he uses this word finally, and uh, that's because this final section of Ephesians is built on everything Paul has previously taught in the letter. And ideally, I should have taught through the entire book to get to this point of Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. But if you are interested in that, I do have a whole series of text sermons on my website at redeeminggod.com. You can just go there. Uh, Right at the top, there's a menu for sermons or Bible study sections. Um, It says uh, Scripture. You just click on that, go down to the section for Ephesians, and I have a whole series of sermons, which I have preached on Ephesians right there, available for you to download and read if you would like. Okay, so uh, that that's that resource, 100% free uh, to go and access all of those. Print them off, read them. Hey, if you have a Bible study or you're a pastor, go ahead and preach them and teach them yourselves. That's fantastic. Go ahead and use that resource if you would like. Okay, so anyway, finally, the word finally is basically saying, okay, Paul is saying, okay, remember everything I've written to you up to this point, and I will be referring back to it as we continue on with our study of verses 10 through 20, but uh, that's this word, final. Now, next Paul talks about brethren. He says, finally, my brethren. This is critically important because Paul wants us to, to remind us right from the outset that as we find ourselves in spiritual warfare, we are not alone. We are a band of brothers. There was that TV series called Band of Brothers. And that is what people who have gone into war feel about their partner in arms, all right? Their comrades, their fellow soldiers, the people on their left and their right, all right? They form a bond that is really oftentimes stronger than blood. And this was true of the Roman military. It's true of all military cases today. You form this bond of people who you stood side by side with on the field of battle. And Paul wants to remind you, he wants to remind me, that when we are facing struggles in this battle, in spiritual warfare, we are not alone. If you're like me, when you are facing struggles and problems in your Christian life, whatever they might be, spiritual problems, emotional problems, mental, um, temptation, marital, financial, health, okay? When you are facing problems, it's very, very tempting for us to think that we are facing them on our own. But we're not. There can be, and there is, a whole band of brothers and sisters who are ready to unite around us, to uplift us in prayer, to uphold us, to encourage us, to provide for us, to support us in whatever way necessary. And the internet can help with that today um, through discipleship groups and forums and, and even finding like-minded people on Twitter and Facebook who can help us, all right? But also right in your community, right in your neighborhood, maybe even right in your own 
house. There are people who can help you and are willing to come around you as part of this band of brothers. And that's what Paul wants to remind us, because he knows that when we're facing spiritual warfare, it feels like we are all on our own. And even when we don't have humans around us, other human flesh and blood people, Jesus is our captain, and he is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us, and he is there by your side to protect you and guide you and lead you and take care of you. So he is our brother as well, and he is part of this band of brothers that is with us in spiritual battle. So never ever forget that, that Jesus is by your side as well in this spiritual battle. Okay? So uh, it's a very key term here, and it is essential to remember that uh, we are with a band of brothers. I don't know, if, there's so many movies about this too. I mentioned Braveheart, uh, but also you could think of, I don't know if you saw Hacksaw Ridge. This is the true life story about Private uh, Desmond Doss. He was drafted into the army for World War II. Now he was a pacifist, and so he refused to carry a gun into battle or even to shoot others. And there was a whole, you know, they tried to kick him out of the army, but he's like, no, I want to go uh, and do my part in serving and helping, but I just am not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to shoot anybody. Uh, He ended up earning a Congressional Medal of Honor for saving 75 fellow soldiers at the Battle of Okinawa. And he did this all without firing a single shot. Look, you have a part to play as well. And I know that sometimes you feel lonely, you feel desperate, you need someone to come around you. But it is also important to remember that you are surrounded by people who need you to rescue them. Just like Private Doss in Hacksaw Ridge. All right. He wasn't a soldier on the field of battle, but he rescued 75 of his fellow soldiers. So he was a soldier. He rescued and delivered them. And that is something that is very helpful. We are a band of brothers, and we are here to, yes, get protection from the people on our left and the right, but also to provide protection for them. And as I have been dealing with some of these struggles in the last couple of months, this is something my wife has been telling me. She has been saying, you know what, Jeremy, you are facing these struggles, but there are other people out there who are also facing similar struggles, and they need to hear your voice. They need to get some of your teachings and your writings and your ideas to help encourage them and support them. And so stop focusing on yourself and start focusing about how you might be able to help them as well. So that's one of the reasons I'm restarting uh, teaching here, uh, here in September. And I hope that some of what I teach over the next weeks and put out for you is going to be helpful for you as well. All right. I am one of your brothers seeking to help and aid and encourage and guide uh, and support you as well in whatever struggles and fears and temptations and challenges you might be facing. We're all in this together. We are a band of brothers and sisters, of course, all right? Paul talks about brothers, but he's including women in that as well. Okay, now we get to this battle cry itself, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is the second half of verse 10. And uh, many people are afraid of facing the forces of darkness, Satan and demons and so on, in spiritual battle because they think they are not strong enough right? They worry that they don't have enough power. And here's the truth. They're right. You and I do not have enough power. We are not strong enough to face the spiritual forces arrayed against us. It is foolish to think otherwise. And that's why I often cringe at some of these 
teachers and, and other people online who go out there and they are challenging Satan, you know, uh, and, and making a big point of, of, of standing up against spiritual forces of wickedness in their town, in their community, in their neighborhood, whatever it might be, because they are taking on a battle that they cannot win on their own. But here's the key, and this is what Paul is talking about here. While you and I don't have strength, don't have the power to stand up to these spiritual forces of wickedness on our own, we do have them in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's one of the key things here that Paul is talking about in this battle cry of verse 10. Okay, We are to be strong not in our own strength, but strong in the Lord. And we're not to have our own power, but we are to have the power of His might. So the strength and power that allows us to stand up against the spiritual forces of wickedness, to withstand them, to do battle against them. It doesn't come from you and me. It doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from Jesus. We're going to see as we go through the various pieces of spiritual armor that each and every one of them belongs to God, comes from God, is a gift to us from God. He is letting us wear his armor. Uh, and again, it would be very important for us to go through the rest of Ephesians and see some of this. For example, in Ephesians 4 and 5, in the first half of chapter 6, Paul instructs Christians to perform certain duties and responsibilities, right? And now, if you were just to read Ephesians 4, 5, in the first half of chapter 6, you, you would get overwhelmed because you would think, this is too difficult. I have to have unity with people I would rather hate. I have to love and forgive. I have to treat people with respect. I can't do that. How can I do, how can I love my enemies? And how can I treat people with respect when they aren't respecting me? Okay, and all of these difficult things. But Paul never asks us to do something that God has not given us the resources to do. Paul only writes Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, gives us all of these things to do, after he wrote Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, in which Paul provides us with all of the riches and blessings that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Sort of the outline of Ephesians is, it's six chapters long, the first three is all about our riches uh, that God has given to us. Paul goes, one thing after another, here's what God has done for you, here's what God has given to you, here's the blessings and rewards and riches that are yours in Jesus Christ. And only after he's laid all of that out in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, does Paul now say, okay, now that you are knowing what riches are available to you, now let's talk about what God wants you to do with them. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is all about the responsibilities we have, how we're supposed to spend these riches. Paul is doing the exact same thing here in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and this issue of spiritual warfare. He's going to tell us to stand up against the wiles of the devil, to withstand spiritual forces of wickedness, to stand against them. But you and I can't do that on our own. So before Paul even tells us to do that, though, right here in verse 10, he says, listen, don't try to do this on your own strength because you don't have it. God is going to give to you the resources, the strength, the might, the power that you need to stand up against these wicked forces, these forces of wickedness and evil in the spiritual realm. The power we need for battle is not ours. It is God's. The strength and resources of God are at our disposal, and God has given to us. And that was, that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 10. 
Now, we could go in and look at these three words, strength and power and might, or strength uh, that, that Paul mentions. They've been talked about previously in Ephesians, uh, uh, all the way through the letter of Ephesians. Um, he, he talks about power, for example, that God has given to those of us who believe. That's in Ephesians 1.19. Uh, he talks about power in 3.7, chapter 3, verse 7, uh, that comes through the Spirit, Right? And many biblical authors talk about this sort of power. Pretty much every New Testament author speaks about the power that Christians have been given through the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the problem. Though we have this power, this might, this strength, many of us are having trouble accessing it. And the reason is because it's sort of like um, there are impediments in our life, things that keep us from accessing all the power of God that is available to us. I mean, you just start to think about the power of God. God is the one who created the universe, the heavens and the earth. He can raise people from the dead and heal the sick. All these miracles that Jesus performed are the power of God. So how come you and I aren't experiencing more of this power in our lives? And the reason is because I like to think of it as we have a very uh, weak fuse box in our life. Uh, Here's a picture of sort of a fuse box that uh, you might have out in your garage, and if you're watching along, uh, and you know that some of these are, you know, 15 amp or whatever, even, uh, or, or 30 amp. I don't know enough about electricity to understand, but sometimes if too much power surges through there, then the fuse box trips, the fuse trips, and no power then gets through. That is what is going on in our life as well. God wants to send all of his powers, much of his power through us, into spiritual battle, into our life as he can, but certain things in our life restrict the flow. And so no matter how much power is available, if only a little trickle gets through, then the fuse trips and nothing gets through. So the key to fixing this is to get a bigger fuse, a more powerful fuse, to let more power through, a bigger circuit breaker, if you will. Uh, I'm not an electrician. I don't even know if I'm using correct terms there, but you need to draw more power. And that is what Paul is talking about here with this battle cry. He's saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay, great. How do we get a bigger fuse, Paul? How do we allow more of God's infinite power, omnipotence, to flow into our lives so that we can do what Paul is going to call us to do in verses 11 through 20? The answer, the solution to this, this is what I'm trying to work on in my own life, is to remember that we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. We are in a battle for God's creation. And you start to think about this. Just as any soldier, think of human soldiers in any war. They might start off as this recruit, this person who's been branded, and they're a 98-pound weakling, 18, 19 years old, and they have no muscle, or maybe they're fat, you know, overweight, and they're just not very strong. But what do they do to become stronger, to gain strength? Well, they train, they discipline themselves, they drill. You and I, just like any human soldier, you and I can gain strength can increase in our power that we draw on from God through training and exercise. All right? We we plug into the power. That might be some people's problem, by the way. 
You don't even have access to the power unless you believed in Jesus for eternal life. That's how the power gets turned on in the first place. If you don't have eternal life, or you're not sure you have, you get it by believing in Jesus for it, period. Okay? Once you do that, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, you have access to God's infinite supply of power. Now, after this, though, then you need to begin your training and exercise and discipline. Uh, the Bible calls this uh, discipleship, following Jesus, okay? uh, becoming, training yourself to live and love like Jesus. And there are multiple things you can do to, for this training and exercise. And I'll talk about some of those in a minute. But let's just talk about some of the things the Roman soldiers did in the days of Paul. Now remember, as Paul's writing this letter, this is one of his prison letters, so he's likely chained to some Roman guards as he is writing this letter to the Ephesians. And so we'll keep that in mind as we discuss some of the pieces of spiritual armor, armor of God in future studies. Uh, but he had a chance to talk to them, and maybe even Paul had seen some of the training that these soldiers had done as they went about. So Paul was very familiar with the soldiers of the Roman military and some of the training, the discipline that they did. There was a Roman historian named Vegetius who wrote about the training of the Roman soldiers, and here is some of what he wrote. He said, victory in war does not depend entirely upon numbers or mere courage. Only skill and discipline will ensure it. We find that the Romans owed the conquest of the world to no other cause than their continual military training. All right, so what sorts of training did they do? Well, there's lots of things that they did and could do, and some of it uh, is very similar to what Athletes and soldiers and bodybuilders do today. For example, they would watch their diet uh, and they would do other sorts of training as well. Uh, initially, after their, their oath of service, they were branded or marked with the letters SPQR. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, then you know that the, the actor, I can't remember his name now, was branded um, with this SPQR on his shoulder. And then when he became a slave, he tried to hide that fact that he was a Roman soldier by scraping that brand off of his shoulder. Uh, but that is what the, the soldiers had. So they were branded. And uh, by the way, SPQR stood for Senate and the People of Rome. It, that showed that they, were, they belonged to the Senate and the People of Rome. Um, Russell Crowe was the name of the actor. That's who it was. He was branded and he scraped it off. By the way, in Ephesians 1.13, Paul, remember, wrote that we were sealed with the mark of ownership, sealed with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it showed we received this brand, this mark, which is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul very likely had the SPQR brand in mind when he wrote about, when he wrote that in Ephesians 1.13. Anyway, upon receiving this seal of ownership, it is then that the soldiers began their training. It was strenuous exercise, and they became more disciplined, physically fit, and healthy than any other army at their time, which is why, as Vegetius said, they were so successful. They trained in any weather. It wasn't just, well, it's raining today, so let's stay inside the barracks and play cards. No, they trained in any weather. Why? Because battle could happen in any weather. And their training consisted of three categories, physical training, weapons training, and field service. Now, the most important of these was physical training. I mean, if you weren't physically fit, then the ability to swing your weapon around did you no good if you tired quickly, right? So the most important was physical training. 
And uh, their physical training consisted mostly of marching. <laughs> you say, Jeremy, marching, that's not very physical. How hard is it to march? Ah, well, first of all, their marching was slightly slower than running. It was like a, a trot, sort of. And their first goal, when you were a brand new recruit, you couldn't really advance until you were able to accomplish the first goal, which was while wearing 66 pounds of armor, they had to be able to march, you ready? 20 miles in five hours. When they were able to do this, the second goal was to march 24 miles in five hours. Now you think about this. Marathon is 26.2 miles. And the average finishing time for a marathon, I looked it up, is about four and a half hours. So these Roman soldiers were seeking to, quote unquote, march 24 miles in five hours. So a little less than a marathon in a little more than the average finishing time of the runner today. And while they were carrying 66 pounds of armor, you think about the physical fitness that is required of the Roman soldier in order to accomplish this goal. They were incredibly physically fit and strong. Now, other forms of physical training include the long jump and the high jump, carrying, running, swimming, vaulting up onto a horse, and all of those, except for the swimming, of course, uh, were performed in full armor, 66 pounds of armor. Uh, now, the weapons training, obviously, they're going to learn to use swords and shields and javelins, and they would have mock trainings, just like you know people in sports fields today or even soldiers today, mock battles to help in their training. And then they had the field service, which is basically to familiarize the soldier with battlefield conditions. Um, and uh, another aspect of the soldier's training involved is diet, obviously. Special attention was, was given to make sure that the soldier got enough food, that he was kept healthy and active. And I looked it up, and basically, surprise, surprise, what people understand to be a healthy diet hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. Uh, people understood health back then, fitness, what, you know, they might not have understood proteins and carbs and, you know, all those sorts of things, but they knew through trial and error and experience, how to keep the soldier's diet healthy. Uh, they were also trained in areas of sanitation, personal hygiene. And again, a lot of that is surprisingly modern. You would not be surprised. We're not so, quote unquote, advanced sometimes as we think we are. Now, at the end of all this training and exercise, imagine the sort of might and strength that resided within the average soldier. And then you put them all together, shoulder to shoulder, as a band of brothers. And at that time, there was no greater military force on the earth. All right? They might have joined up as overweight and undisciplined weaklings. But at the end of their training, they had gained great strength, power, and might. Now imagine, just imagine for a moment what would have happened if the soldiers showed up, these brand new recruits, they said their oath, they got their brand, and then... Their sergeants or their captains, I don't know what their legionnaires, whoever they were that were leading them and training them at the time, their leaders said, okay, guys, thanks for joining up. Glad you said your oath. Glad you got your brand. Now, listen, go hang out in your barracks, sleep in, eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter. As soon as the war starts, the battle starts, we'll, we'll sound, call the trumpet and you can all form up and uh, we'll head off, march off to war. 
Okay? If that had happened, the Roman military wouldn't have lasted a year. Wouldn't have lasted a month. You cannot send untrained, weak, undisciplined soldiers into battle and think that there's going to be any sort of success. And yet, getting back to the question of Christians in spiritual battle today, very often this is exactly how we treat Christians, isn't it? Hey, thanks for you know, believing in Jesus for eternal life. Here's your Bible. Yeah, you can read it if you want. It would be, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. And uh, hey, um, you know, there's not much you need to do now. Uh, when the battle comes along, thumbs up. Good luck. Uh, remember, Jesus is on your side. And that's it. And we wonder then, we struggle with questions about why there's so much defeat in the lives of the average Christian, maybe in your life or in my life. And the reason is because we haven't trained, we haven't disciplined, we haven't exercised, we haven't uh, got a good diet for ourselves. We shouldn't wonder at failure and weakness in our life. Instead, we need to, as soldiers of Jesus Christ, We need to train. We need to exercise. We need to learn how to use our weapons. We need to learn how to defend ourselves. We need to get a good diet into our lives. Uh, We need to become spiritually healthy. We need to, in the words of Paul, become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And this isn't physical strength Paul is thinking of, but spiritual strength. He's thinking of of becoming spiritually strong in Jesus, knowing the truth, and knowing what Jesus wants of us and how he wants us to live and function as a follower of him. Now, we will be talking about some of this as we go forward in the, the series on spiritual warfare, uh, but uh, you might be wanting to know how. How can I start now? Well, there's lots of things you can do. Uh, As we go through the spiritual armor, piece by piece, I will be telling you what it is in your life and how you can put it on and use it, all right? But between now and then, it's important to remember there are things you can do now. You can begin working out and training yourself now. And Paul has already explained some of this in his letter to the Ephesians, all right? Uh, Prior to this, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, Uh, verses 11 through 15 or so, Paul talked about how we, each one of us, have a spiritual gift. So as a new believer, or as a more mature believer, you need to know what talents and skills and abilities you've been given. Again, when you join the military, or you join a sports team, or whatever, people are, through training and experience and practice, you are going to discover where your strengths lie, what your gifts and abilities and talents, how you can contribute to the team. And this is the same thing in spiritual warfare. Jesus has given you, God has given you spiritual gifts, spiritual talents and abilities. And you need to discover what those are and start practicing with them. They are, in a sense, your weapons, um, your tools of the trade. And just as on the Roman uh, warfare, there might be an expert swordsman. Look, not everybody's going to be good with the sword. Not everyone's going to be good with the bow. Not everyone's going to be good in the kitchen cooking. Okay, Some are going to be better at logistics and planning and so on. And every part, just like the body of Christ, every part is needed so that the proper functioning of the whole body works together in unity and peace. And that is the way the band of brothers works as well. So you need to discover your part, your talent, your gifts, your abilities. And by the way, if you, if you don't know what that might be, I do have a course and I do have a book on spiritual gifts. You can find the book on Amazon. If you're part of my discipleship group, you can take 
the course on spiritual gifts. Uh, there's various ways of discovering your spiritual gifts and finding out what it might be. And I, I recommend you take that as well. Okay, so putting on spiritual armor and practicing with it, the first part of that is discovering and using your spiritual gifts so that you can become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. All right, so we will be looking at the various pieces of spiritual armor in the future, how you can put them on and use them. But remember, Ephesians chapter 6 follows Ephesians chapter 4. Paul assumes at this point in his letter that you are somewhat familiar with your spiritual gifts, your talents and abilities, and you are going to be able to start using them. Now, in the next study, we're going to move on to verses 11 and 13 and talk a little bit about the enemy that is arrayed against us in the wiles of the devil, the tricks and traps and schemes that he lays out in front of us to trip us up. And so that's what we're headed next before, you know, we have to know the enemy before we can defeat the enemy. Uh, But between now and then, listen, figure out what your spiritual gifts are. Learn to use them, practice with them, grow strong in them, because this is the gift and a talent and ability that God has given to you, that God wants you to use in spiritual warfare, not just to help yourself, but to help the people, the men and women, the fellow soldiers on either side of you to lift them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them, and to help them out as they engage in spiritual warfare in their own lives as well. Only in this way will all of us, together as a band of brothers, become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and become an effective army with Jesus Christ as he leads us into the world to attack the gates of hell, batter down the gates of hell, rescue and deliver those who are within. Okay? That's Ephesians 6.10. It's a battle cry. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay? Uh, So get started. Get started this week, learning and discovering your spiritual gifts. Next week, as I said, we'll be picking back up in Ephesians 4, 11 and uh, verse 13 as well. 11 and 13. We'll come back to verse 12 after that. Okay, that's where we're headed next. Thank you so much for listening to this study. Look forward to joining you again next week as we continue on with this study of spiritual warfare and the armor of God. I hope you're finding it effective and helpful. And again, if you're part of the Discipleship Group, there is an online course available, well, almost available to you, and I hope you uh, just just go over to uh, redeeminggod.com slash courses, and you can sign up to take that course. The first two lessons should be available later this week, and we'll be adding more as we go along. And at the end of the course, you'll get a free PDF, free digital copy of my book on the Armor of God, which includes a lot more information than I'm able to include in the course or even in these podcast studies. Okay, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Talk to you later. Bye.